you're listening to the Power of Video podcast, episode number 63. Today's guest is going to share the good, the bad, and the ugly of the photography business and how he grew his business using video. YouTube in specific, uh, to say he knows what he's doing, uh, if you've got over 260,000 followers or subscribers on YouTube, I'd say you knew what you were doing. And plus, I'm not just saying this, but this guy is seriously the best photographer that I personally have ever seen. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here with another episode. Today, we are joined by photographer, business owner, and what I would call the wasp whisperer, Alan Palander. What's going on, man? What's up, Thomas? How you doing, brother? <laughs> doing well, doing well. And I know I got to give context to people, but you <laughs> are on a whole different level of obsessed when it comes to getting the shot, so much that you almost died getting that shot. Yeah, I mean that's it's so funny. A lot of people, some people that know the story, obviously point to it, and it's it's a hilarious situation. It is not funny when it happened to me because yeah. at the moment I really thought I was gonna die. But yeah, sometimes I go beyond uh, the the means to try to capture that one photo that I find to be fascinating. And in this case, I was in Jordan, and um, we were in a wadi, which is basically a canyon, a stretch of water that is kind of elevating in 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 depth as you progress through this canyon. And I thought to climb one side of the cliff to get this really nice look down shot of my friends jumping in the water and having fun. But little did I know that my arm would be immersed, you know, fully into a wasp nest on the space of this cliff. And then I would appear in the hospital for four or five days. Uh, <laughs> so it was, a, it was definitely a head turner and an experience that taught me a lot of lessons in life. <laughs> Well, that's one of those shots you just want to make sure that the lens cap still isn't on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> did you? Well, funny did, enough, I think I, th I think I just threw my camera out of my hand when I got up there because I really didn't have an option. I was you're you're stuck on this this cliff basically, and there's hundreds of wasps attacking you, and you're just trying to figure out what the best solution is. So I think I just threw my camera, and then I went on my back and I started sliding down the cliff and then I jumped at a certain point I just remember being fully unconscious but I don't remember being fully unconscious but I remember my, my friends waking me up thinking that I just jumped in the water for fun but they were like picking wasps off my face and my mm. head and I can insane. yeah I can't imagine the pain have you and after that have you had another experience to compare that pain to or no, something that was no, maybe I, worse, or was that the worst pain of your life? I think there's <laughs> the problem is I've endured quite a lot of things. Uh, when I was younger, uh, when I was seven years old, we, my parents and I uh, we were living in Turkey, and I was a very let's just say um, not very obedient child, <laughs> uh, and I tried to climb and jump over a military fence. So the fence goes up and then it bends over and then there's basically the, I forget what those, are, those things are called, but there's yeah. the linings that are like sharp and they have oh, the barbed wire. Edges. Barbed wire, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I jumped, but I got caught on the barbed wire and I was hanging on it for about six hours and it was just like embedded in the side of my ribs. Um, I That was at a very young age, so I can't say that that pain was as bad as what I experienced as an adult, because the pain from that experience in Jordan, I still remember to this day. Um, because you're not only just 
getting you know attacked by wasps, but you're falling, you're scraping your back, you're basically drowning at one point, and then they're pumping all this stuff and medication, and you try to help you. So uh, it was, yeah, it was insane. I felt like, and I think many people probably wouldn't survive that situation. Somehow, I was miraculously able to. Yeah. Did the well more? <laughs> I, I'm glad you're okay. Obviously, but how did how did how did the photo come out? <laughs> yeah, there was no photo. The oh. um, only yeah, the problem was we got to the elevation that we were at. So the reason why I ended up getting into the wasp nest was because we got to a certain elevation where the it's sandstone, right? So it's, it starts to be very brittle and it starts to break. So that. That point in elevation was super dangerous. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go left. My buddy was like, I'm going to go right. I sure just followed my friend, mm. a professional rock climber and everything. But I, I kind of just went with my perspective. And so by the time I did the actual move and turn, I my camera was useless at that point. Um, but my friends did capture a lot of photos of me during the actual incident. I bet. Which was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That was not fun for sure. <laughs> For, for months on end, I was getting reminders of like what happened to me. So that was insane. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing before. I mean, obviously that wasn't your first photo shoot, but where did it all start for you? Like, when did you know exactly that, you know, I, I really want to be a photographer? Yeah. I mean, it, it was very early on. Um, I was traveling around Europe at a very young age on my own. I think my first Euro trip was like 15 years old or so. Um, and it wasn't like going, like, you know, by all means, discovering every aspect of Europe. I was just, dry, I was I would fly to like Italy and I'd go to Germany, meet some cousins and then, you know, go up to Sweden. But those little trips really started adding up. And along the way, I would come back and share a lot of stories with my family and friends. But what was missing was the actual um the visuals of the experience because I, mm. I described these beautiful cathedrals and architecture that I was seeing. I was obsessed with architecture. I was hoping to become an architect since I was a child. So um, when my parents finally got me a camera, I would I'd go back out and I would start capturing these experiences and share share them with everyone, my friends. And as I was posting them to like MSN and Facebook and any application that was available at the time, people start recognizing that, like, hey, you actually have a good eye for this. Maybe we should do something else with it. And then you start to dabble into, like, taking pictures of your friends, you know, doing engagements, weddings, all that good stuff. Um, I didn't last too long in the wedding industry, but uh, but it, it, it was still a big part of the learning process for me, for sure. And what camera did you start with? The first camera I had was... Uh, a Sony Cybershot, and it was uh, F. It was a what was it? The pixels were 1.2 megapixels nice. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah it was very. I, I think I still have it somewhere in my house. But but my dad also was a photographer when I was younger. Oh, cool. But like he wasn't doing it professionally; he was just doing it as a hobby. Um, so I remember seeing cameras in our house, but I never really touched them at that time. Um, and he always would collect like old nice cameras and. So I would see them, but I was exposed in a different way. Yeah. And did you have a um, uh, was that was that camera the one where did it have like a zoom on it already built in, or did it have like separate lenses and things like that, like different focal lengths? I think that one it didn't have a zoom on it. It would just like you turn it on, and then the the lens would pop out, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, so, I think that was like maybe four or five years later that they, they added the zoom feature and uh, a lot more options to the camera. I, I can't even, I think I'm pretty sure they only had like three different button options. On it. <laughs> so very, lim very limiting. Also, my parents weren't going to buy me the most expensive camera. Yeah. You know, they were just like, here's one that we found. Go use it, child. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. said your you said your dad uh, used to, um, was a photographer as like a hobby. Did you guys ever? Did he kind of show you the basics, or were you more self taught? Or he didn't teach me anything about photography. <laughs> My dad, I don't think even realized that I would ever be a photographer. Um, it's still yeah. funny because they still really don't understand what I do for a living, but. Uh, no, my, my dad was more. My dad was the, the mayor of the city that I was. We were living in in Iraq at the time, um, so he was just like you know a politician, and uh, he just had this. You know, he had the the ability to purchase things like that. So he was buying cameras and taking pictures of family and friends and stuff like that. But I never really. I don't even remember really touching the cameras or really getting exposed to them in that sense. Um, and when I got older and I finally had my camera, my dad really wasn't about it either. Like he wasn't like, oh, let me show you how to use this. He didn't really care. <laughs> uh, but now, now he's like, okay, this is kind of cool. Yeah. You, you're, you've done something very big with this. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and do you, do you remember the first picture you took? I think so. Um, I remember not the first picture I took, but I remember the general kind of feeling I had and what I was doing. So I remember getting the camera and my parents taking me to a park nearby in Victoria Park in Kitchener. I'm not too sure if you're familiar with Kitchener or anything like that, but, mm -hmm. um, and I just remember snapping so much photos and then realizing that the card, there was no actual memory card in the camera. <laughs> and I was so let down because I thought I was like taking the most amazing photos I've ever I would love to one day actually go back and try to find images I took maybe 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see how they looked versus now. Yeah. I think mean, it'd also be cool yeah. to maybe if you could like almost recreate them, like either going back to the location, if it's still there or something like mm -hmm. that, I think that'd be super cool. Um, so when did it, okay, when did you start using video for your business? Cause I know you're known for your photography. When did you start transitioning into the video aspect? Yeah, the video aspect came, um, around six, six to seven years ago. Um, and it was really uh, this desire to continue expanding my knowledge in the field because I think that as a photographer, we're kind of limited in what we're able to do and the, the learning curve sometimes is, is super, uh, I want to say simplified, but it's, it's not that hard to learn everything that you need to about photography. Mm -hmm. But it's obviously the challenge is to be as creative as possible and really start to conceptualize things in a different light. And for me, I thought that videography would be an incredible way to exercise that artistic, you know, um, learning process and to really think differently in, in terms of movement in images rather than just the still images themselves. So once I started dabbling in video, I started really realizing, okay, there's a potential here because it seems to be working as well. Um, and that's the, that's the one thing that I, I tell my students, I run workshops and I always tell them, you know, learn different skill sets. And if you start to notice that the feedback that you're getting is really positive and that you feel like you're doing something really good, continue exercising it. And so for me, videography was one of those things I kept exercising it. And then I, you know, built a production company around it. Um, and now it's kind of just like taking my ideas and really seeing them come to light.
Awesome. And did you, um, did you ever, I don't know, because I feel like as business owners, we go through things that work and don't work, lots of like trial and error. Did you go through that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the, this industry that I'm in is uh, is a challenging one because it changes every single day. And I think the, the photographer role that we used to know as children growing up is no longer that. It's a very um, kind of, you know, uh, evolved atmosphere in a way that it's it changes with the current kind of conditions in social media and what uh, how people perceive and take information. Uh, everyone nowadays is considered a photographer if they have a mobile device that shoots 12 pixels or more on it. So I think the challenge there is adapting and really thinking outside the box and putting yourself in a position where you can be recognized for your work, but also be, being taken seriously as another like con, like the big hurdle that starts to occur in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, in the very beginning, it was really uh, trying to learn from the right people and so finding mentorship was a big part of the exercise i wanted to really do and it was near it was impossible i tried reaching out to so many photographers i would and at the time youtube wasn't a thing so it's not like i could just go on youtube and learn a million things about photography um, and take people's workshops and stuff like that but um, in toronto mentorships weren't, weren't coming by and so i just said to myself i'm gonna have to teach myself this and be able to learn through the you know the ups and downs of it. Yeah. And uh, uh, who are some of your mentors that you look up to and that you've actually uh, invested in yourself? I don't really have any. I would say mentors in the photography space because um, I simultaneously while I was doing photography, I was pursuing my architecture degree. So I think that a lot of my inspiration and desire to continue building on on this platform came from my desire to be an architect rather than to be a photographer. To be a photographer for me was never a question. I I never thought of it as an actual career path. Um, Not to say that's not a career path, obviously it is, but uh, for me it was just kind of like an artistic extension or an artistic way to display my work, but I didn't think that it would, you know, also bring me a livelihood out of it. So a lot of my focus was like really learning from the best architects around the world. I was really inspired by Anthony Gali and Zaha Hadid, um, very pronounced architects that have really shaped European architecture and evolved this whole modern kind of sense of architecture that we see today. And what's, I know you probably get like an incredible satisfaction feeling kind of when, you know, you're either working with brands or other businesses, but what has been, um, kind of like when you work with students and be able to pass your knowledge on to them and, uh, and see that kind of like glimmer in their eye, how does that feel to you? It's super important for me. I mean, the again, it goes back to the whole idea that I couldn't find a mentor to teach me. And I felt like if there was a person that was there that could have guided me a little bit, I think my learning curve would have been a lot faster. And I would have been able to get you know up and running a lot quicker and know what I'm doing. So my online workshop, and I'm not too sure how many people provide this as a service, but my online workshop is fully one-on-one. Um, that means I take a very limited amount of students, but at the same time, I'm working with them through their challenges and really you know cultivating uh, this sense of professionalism that they they might need in their business. 
um, and really answering the questions that they need because a lot of the times when you just offer online courses that are kind of virtual and you know pre-recorded the person's not really getting what what they desire from that conversation so being able to tell someone that they're doing something right and wrong or telling them that they can improve on something is just such a fundamental piece to learning and that to me is where i get a lot of my um i guess happiness in, in that sense yeah no and when i was looking on your website i did notice that and i don't see a lot of people offering that just like kind of right out the gate you know normally there's you know what you can get on the bottom level as far as the pre-recorded stuff and then there's the group coaching and then one-on-one -on -one, and you've just kind of designed it where it's like you get to work one-on-one -on -one with you which i think a lot of people crave but obviously that comes at a higher price as well because yeah. you know you're it's a limited time and i i see that a lot just and it took me a while to realize as far as like like kind of like you said with how important mentors are whether it's business photography or whatever but to get actual feedback from somebody like an expert like you uh i you you almost can't put a price tag on that and you're just like you said you're just going to take that learning curve of searching for god knows how many videos and like learning and maybe developing bad habits or you just kind of like literally almost rush to the front of the line a little bit or just cut that line in half exactly it's definitely a way to expedite your all the, the nuances that come along the way and for a lot of these students i think it's an amazing opportunity to be able to talk to the person that they might look up to right i think uh, a lot of the, the people that i was inspired by were so far away in the distance from me so i was only able to appreciate their work and see what they were doing but i never really got the sense to learn from them and learn about their mistakes and their challenges um, and to a point, to get to even a bigger point, like I even considered applying to architecture school in London because I knew Zaha Hadid was an associate professor at the mm. university. And that's the extent that I was willing to go in order to learn from someone that really was inspiring me on a regular basis. So a lot of the students that take my courses really appreciate the fact that they get to talk to me because not only because they learn, but they also, they, they like the work that I do and they're big fans of the, the progress I've made in my my career and that definitely inspires them in some way yeah and just out of sheer curiosity have you ever thought about going back and finishing your architecture degree or actually getting it yeah i have many times um every time i mean the pandemic was actually a perfect opportunity and but the problem was if i had reapplied by the time i reapplied it would have been early 2021 and then we'd have mm. a whole year left in the pandemic but I mean, if I projected that there was going to be a two-year lockdown, I could have potentially fit in that that master's degree in there um, because I did have a lot of downtime <laughs> since I wasn't traveling. But yeah, I mean, I think down the road, I I I, I truly believe that you know we change career paths uh, every ten to twenty years, and that's something that I'm willing to do as well. Uh, I love what I do for a living, um, but you know I'm always open to see what's what's going to come through the pipeline next. And if something inspires me or something feels like it fits well with my lifestyle, then I'll kind of pursue it. And I'm already starting to adapt in little ways here and there. And certain changes are starting to made, be made in my personal business as well, so I can start to prepare for stuff like that. I was going to say, can you talk about that a little bit as far as maybe, you know, you're, you've been doing this for so long and is there something else that you may have wanted to start, uh, that you have been kind of like 
dabbling in a little bit can you talk about that yet or you, can you i don't want to like pressure you to like to release yeah, no, some big thing so yeah <laughs> no no of course um i think so in the last uh, i would say three three and a half years i've been really trying to put together my production company in the right way um and one of the biggest things for my production company is for me to be more of the um, kind of umbrella of it rather than the, the working force behind it. Um, as, a, as a content creator, it becomes very tedious so if I'm going out shooting, creating content, working with the brands, but I want my production business to be recognized and so that my team can handle the jobs that I need done without me actually even being a part of it in the, like the, to the extent where it takes up all my time. Um, so in doing so, I'm trying to partner with specific companies and um, it's more of an art direction kind of title versus, you know, being on ground as a creative director or leading the production. Um, I can't specifically say which client right now, <laughs> but, um, but I, I mean, it's, it's, it becomes more and more obvious as you start to see my work in certain spaces, especially in the automotive industry. Um, I'm very passionate about Formula One racing, and that's something that I definitely think that it, it's, it's a right fit with the type of work that I'd like to do in the future. Yeah. And is it, how has that, like, I know you could probably see the pivot coming. Has that been a hard thing to kind of like mentally unpack? Like, for example, like when I, when I was in, I think I let you know uh, that I was in the news industry for a very long time and I thought I wanted to be the next Seacrest and like, that's what I wanted to do. And then I found entrepreneurship and all this stuff. And I don't know, it's weird to see that dream that I held so high for so long, just kind of. I don't want to say die, but that's the only word I can think of. And then, you know, pivoting into like business uh, was kind of a hard pill to swallow. I don't know if you felt the same way or was it a smooth transition? It, it is. I mean, it is a very challenging situation to be in because you're kind of letting go of one thing to pursue something else. But I think that's also super energizing and it's it fuels your your soul in a way because you're mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, wow, I have a bigger purpose or I have something even better to look forward mm -hmm. to. Um, as for you, I'm sure you trying to, you know, uh, build your business in the news world and to be the next Seacrest, you brought a lot of that energy into what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why you, you're able to do a podcast and sit and ask the right questions and learn from people. These are all very uh, valuable pieces of experiences that you are kind of utilizing. And for me, um, I felt like I had that midlife crisis at a very young age because since I was six years old, I wanted to be an architect. I left my master's degree to pursue a career I never even wanted. So it was it was one of those moments where I really had to dive deep into a lot of big questions in my head. You know, like, what does this mean trajectory-wise? What is my life going to look like in 5, 10, 15 years? Because um, we start to really paint a picture of how we imagine our lives to be. And as kids, we're told that that's the right way to go and approach life. But when I step back and I sometimes look at that mural, I just see a whole bunch of very, you know, you know, craziness kind of happening all over the place. And that's life, you know, and that's where mm -hmm. you start to really look back and you're like, you know what? I don't want that to look perfect. I want it to look like a mess. And I want there to be cool things here and fun things there and, and let it let it be the journey that it is, as long as I feel content with what I'm doing. And I do feel super 
content as I continue progressing in this industry. And how do you deal also in this kind of piggybacks on top of that? Uh, when you do you ever feel like you're do you ever feel like you're like quote unquote starting over? And is it more of like a oh man, I've got to start this over again, or is it more of like a sigh of relief? The, the, the one difference is that you kind of lose this whole, I mean, I'm still an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and I still obviously operate my business on my own terms. But when you start to do certain types of collaborations that are you know, pretty big on the paper, you start to lose a little bit of the control. And I think the control is what is very detrimental to creatives. Mm-hmm. Because as creatives, we want to have the control in our hands so that we can be expressive and be as visually interesting as, as we want. But as you start to progress in your career path, you, there, there will be uh, those, those moments of the ceiling kind of pushing you down and saying, like, this is this you've passed the point of no return in a sense. Uh, you have to find another way out kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really adapting. I'm learning. I'm talking to the right people. I'm being open-minded to the different avenues that uh, various different industries bring to me. Um, and when you also grow as an adult, you also have different uh, responsibilities and those responsibilities start to dictate how you live your lifestyle too. So I can't just be always on the go-go running from one plane to another, even though today I just got back from New York, but that lifestyle needs to change and you need to adapt. Um, I think building the foundation for your business is a very important process and that you need to put 180% into. Um, and that does mean rigorous, you know, late nights, no sleeping, grinding, just making sure that the foundation is built. Once the foundation is built, it's really easy to kind of go back and forth and swing into different avenues. Yeah. And what you described is also like, it's just interesting because you see online like that, what you just described was uh, is hustle culture. But I always say it's like, you know, if you're, if you're doing those lots of late nights, lots of sleepless nights, but if it's for you and it's what you love to do, is it really hustle culture? Because, you know, it's not cool to, you know, make your eyes bleed or like you're working 16 hours a day versus working a job that's like nine to five. Um, I just think that when it comes to working hard on something like that, it doesn't, I, I wouldn't constitute as hustle culture because like you just said, once the foundation is built, then it's just a lot easier. But that damn foundation, though, man, yeah, <laughs> is, is something. It is. It is. And that's the one thing I always tell my students. It's like build your foundation. Build the like build what you need to have what you want in life without sacrifice. And compromising there is very important as well. Because when you are hustling and you are really putting a lot of energy and time into things, you're also forgetting about other aspects of your life. So I find that a lot of people who are super career driven don't really have a very big social life. And that wasn't something that I was willing to compromise in my life. So I had to really balance the playing field for myself and say, you know, I still want to go out and party and meet friends and hang out. And I want to be able to still work and be very good at what I do. And so how do you balance all these different variables? And um, Everyone has their own path. Everyone has their own answers. But it has to, like you said, if it feels good, it makes you happy, then let that be your lifestyle because it, it yeah. fulfills you. 
And how how do you maintain discipline as a creative and an entrepreneur? Because there are famous quotes out there that says that like no one's going to wake you up. No one's going to help you work. No one's going to force you to take that online course to figure out business and taxes and SEO and funnels and see it. I mean, the list just goes on. So how do you deal with the uh, discipline when it comes to being in business as a creative? Yeah, I mean, there's that's a big question. There's so many different ways. I think one of the driving forces behind me staying on top of things is my clients. Um, when you have a steady client base, you start to just work and you become very efficient at what you do and you know that someone else is relying on you and your time. Uh, another thing is, and I tell this to my students and I tell them in a way that like, they have to take with a grain of salt, is to have a good amount of ego. Hmm. Ego fuels a lot of work and uh, allows you to really keep on going with what you're doing because ego is what's giving you that that whole um, answer to say that like you're doing the best and you are the greatest and you're you know you're, you're backing your own self up and I think which is why if you look at most of the most you know uh, the, the the most creative and successful entrepreneurs they have a big ego and they fill that room with their ego but they're, they're, there's two different forms of ego at least that I notice in the world there's ones that they know their accomplishments. But they're not using their ego to belittle others. They're using it to uplift others. But they know that they've done and accomplished the things that they wanted. Um, like this weekend or this, in the last couple of days, I met Jordan Belfort. Um, oh, wow. And I was at an event with him. And I, I sat with him and we talked a little bit. And I was, uh, we were chatting about how, how successful he's been in, and how his career path even though he was already super successful, there came another moment in his life where even more successful to him. And I was like, how do you balance that? Because imagine being already at the top and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden, you know, Hollywood decides to put you in this movie and you're now even elevated to another degree of, of fame. Um, and he said, it's, it's about balancing, balancing your life and really taking things as they come along. And, you know, it's like, you have to act like a sponge, you know, things will be thrown at you. You just got to absorb them and know when to kind of decompress. Um, and so there's a lot of interesting people in the world that have done really great things. And e their ego is not a negative, it's not a bad thing. I find it to be a very inspirational aspect to who they are. Um, but in our day and age, uh, it's easy to say that someone with an ego is someone who's, you know, self-centered and egotistical. Um, but I find that that's very important to be successful because not everyone's going to back you, your ideas up and not everyone's going to believe in you and no one's going to wake you up at 8 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that about ego. I actually talk a lot about that because being in the entertainment industry and being in the news industry, the ego on people is like the bad kind that you're talking about. And I just remember... I see it. I saw it all the time. And it, when people would be no, or people would be at the bottom and you would, they would get like a sprinkle of success. You would have thought they were the Burger King, right? They, <laughs> they, they, it was just, and I swore to myself, I was like, you see this on a daily basis. I saw yeah. more so in broadcasting. I saw it on the Hollywood side 
and it's just like you will never ever be like that like it's just yeah. like but like you said you have to have an ego somewhat but there's obviously good and bad and i'm curious when you talk to jordan was the and what he said i feel like is one of those phrases where oh you've got to have balance and we hear that all the time but for some reason when somebody else says it like jordan it maybe hits home just a little bit harder yeah i mean it's like well yeah exactly when you have a minute or two minutes to spend time with someone who has achieved such a you know extensive uh i don't even know how to describe so, yeah, it. Like six, say, yeah, empire I mean, his empire for, is, yeah. is very big yeah the whole you know nine yards he's achieved many things that many people dream of i think when it comes to meeting someone like that and you have a, a moment to talk to them any piece of advice they give you is somewhat valuable even if they're drunk or, or you know they're just blurring their words i think that there's still there's there's still a, a moment of vulnerability and honesty that comes out of people especially if they don't see you as someone who is you know uh, a challenge or like a hurdle or a distraction for them yeah um, and for me i obviously i could say yes there's balance in everything in life that's totally makes sense but i think what i took from that conversation was that by what he meant is that like it's everyone has basically a center point and if they if they gravitate more to one side versus the other things start to collapse and i think what he was trying to say is that like he was very successful and there was new success being put on his plate but it was really about balancing the successes and making sure that it still allowed him to be at a, at a moment of you know stability um and i think that that is a huge part of it right like a lot of the people that you met those small little successes were like, you know, weighing them over on one side and then their ego would implode, explode. And mm -hmm. they would just become these people who just walked around with egos rather than people who just like really owned up to the fact that like, that's normal in life to be successful yeah. and that's okay. And everyone should have that. Have you ever had to check your ego at the door sometimes? Cause I've done it. I, I know there's been a hand, not a handful, but there's been a few times where I'm like, Ooh, like probably couldn't have, I probably could have said that a little bit better or like sometimes you have to check yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think my ego comes out when I meet, uh, when I meet certain types of people, because I think there's a point in time where you have to impress someone mm -hmm. and that's where the ego is sometimes valuable because you have to prove to someone that you're worth that opportunity. And some of the, the clients I have are super high profile. And if you don't say the right words and describe yourself in the right way, things don't really work out in your favor. And then they'll just see you as a guy with a camera and that's not what I am. And yeah. so I think that's, that's a huge part of building that ego. but i'm not someone who's like oh no i'm the greatest the best like this is not no i don't i don't believe in that stuff i think that's just someone who doesn't believe in himself and needs to really give themselves that confirmation um, yeah. when you truly believe in your work it, it will speak for itself and by any chance that any of your students like are any of them were have you ever or have you whether it's your students or anybody else that you've been around may have not had an ego and you had to be like, Hey man, maybe you should have some ego. Cause this yeah. is awesome. 100%. I'd say like more than 90% of my students do not have any ego at all. Uh, they also have a lot of self doubt. Mm. And I think it's also this whole sense that like they, they come, 
when they start the workshops, they have this thought that it's okay to think that they don't know anything and I know everything. Hmm. And I start the conversation with them and say, no, that's not the case. I don't know. I don't know anything about your life. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know what you, what you've shot and what you catch or what you see when you look through your camera lens. That's your perspective. I'm like, you need to tell me about what your perspective is, where you want to take that. That's what I'm here to help you with. I'm not here to tell you that you're good or bad. That's not the point. It's for me to tell you where you can improve on and where we can find you the right path to be on in terms of your career choices. Um, but yeah, a lot of people, I think, this is, a, I think the culture that we live in in society as well doesn't really allow us to have an ego. Um, it, like I said, it's seen as a negative attribute and I don't see it as a negative attribute. I think mm -hmm. that it's something that people need to do in order to empower themselves because there might be challenges that they're facing that they just can't. A good example is Kanye West. Kanye West is seen as someone who has the biggest ego in the world. But the reason this man has developed an ego is because he's seen red tape on every aspect of his business and every decision that he's made. Not only because, you know, he he's a, he's a black man from Chicago. So that already, like, as a label, limits him in so many industries. And that's the unfair injustice that happens around him trying to become the person that he wants to be. And I think that's where his ego needs to be developed because his ego is going to say, you know, F you, I'm the man. I know what I'm doing. I'm the best at I'm doing I'm the best at doing this because he has to start believing himself. Otherwise, he'll always be pushed down. And so I I definitely relate with that. I think that uh, we we need to really back ourselves up. And if that means having an ego, let that be the case. But again, have a good ego. Like, uh, choose the right side of the ego. Like, don't yeah. let it, you know, overwhelm you and then to the point where you just think that you're better than every single person on the planet. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting yeah. you mentioned uh, self-doubt and not just your students, but just in other creators as well, because you did a interview with Peter McKinnon. And it was interesting because I think a lot of the world or his fans or just YouTube in general view him as like the the best at what he does, like the end all be all to some people. And mm -hmm. for him to be like, so invested in like your opinion on like, Oh, what I should do to like, all like I could almost see the self doubt in him. So it's always, it was just kind of like a peek behind the curtain. Like even people like yourself or him who are at the top still have a little bit of self-doubt because people who are just starting or maybe even like the mid to high level still have self-doubt too. But I just thought it was a very like cool moment to see like a genuine, like he was, he is genuinely curious about your professional opinion on his work. Yeah. I think that's the, the beauty of having good friendships as well as where you can rely on each other and be able to give each other feedback and, Nowadays, if you post something, chances are someone's just going to be like, thumbs up. This is fire. Amazing. Dope, bro. And that's that's great. That's nice to see. And, those, you know, the, the affirmation that, you know, you're doing something that people are relating to is great. But that's not how you're going to grow as an artist. That's not how you're going to really expand your horizon and be like, okay, I'm going to create stuff that is super unique, that's going to stand out, and that is irreplaceable. Um, and that's where a lot of my friends and I, we have conversations around the content that we, we produce. I share my work with them and I say, guys, what did you think of this? Was this good? Should I change this? Um, and it's, it's, a, it's like a good feedback opportunity. And 
And that's something that I always tell everyone. It's like you should always have people that you can like really bounce ideas off of. People who really want the best for you as well. That's that's another huge part of it. And how do you, with feedback, how do you decipher between constructive criticism and like somebody just being a dick? Yeah, it's very challenging. I mean, when I was on YouTube in the very beginning, I would say everyone was a dick (laughs) because these kids on YouTube have the highest standards for the quality that they want. And because you come in there as a photographer, videographer, their assumption is that everything is perfect. Your lighting, your sound, your audio, everything is, is to the T. And for me, it's like that's not the most important aspect to the content. It's the, what are you going to take away from this video is the most important. Mm -hmm. Who cares if you can barely hear me as long as you can still make note of what I'm saying. Um, So there is, there is this, like, I I think there's pressures that are sometimes that you can't escape them. And one of them is this whole social media one. Um, But I'm very fortunate to not have had any negative feedback in the last, you know, 13 years I've been on social media. I've never had like a very evil message sent. The only times this happened once or twice was during certain election periods and I voiced my opinion about certain politicians, which I was basically asking someone else to send me a a terrible message. But other than that, like it's always been super positive and I'm just very fortunate about that because I know a lot of my friends don't have that as 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 a situation. Some of my friends get you know, destroyed on social media on a regular basis, mm-hmm. uh, most of which are females. Um, and that's that's unfair, and that's not how you build a positive working space as well because it is our working environment. Like, people go to an office and they work 9 to 5. We go online in front of thousands and millions of people, and we work. And yeah. those people have every right to say how they feel about our work, and we have to kind of decide how we decipher that feedback. And when you're getting feedback, is there a difference between getting feedback or when you're asking for it? Do you recommend people get it from other photographers or just like, hey, mom, hey, dad, what did you think of this photo? Because I feel like if you're it's almost like I call it like asking the peanut gallery, right? Like I'm sure. Of of course, like if you post a photo on Instagram, you don't know who's following you. But it's like, are they really photographers to give you the right feedback so who like what advice would you give as far as like who to like the right people for the right feedback yeah i mean going to the people that care about you the most is always important because they will give you that encouragement and that's a different type of feedback it's more like oh i love this keep you're so good at this you know it's just Mm -hmm. like very humbling kind of like uh nurturing type of feedback but going to people who are in an industry that are doing what you're doing is another step, right? I think that one's where you're getting to be, you're getting the opportunity to expose your content to someone who also knows what they're doing. And there's an opportunity there for you two to learn from each other. Um, so a lot of the stuff I produce, I will go through my friends that are in my industry and take their opinion um, as a very valuable piece in moving forward with the stuff I produce or share and, and create. Um, everyone else's opinion on social media, it's Obviously, it's positive and it's super nice, but it's not going to be the end-all, be-all for mm-hmm. my opinion. Uh, you have to always end up being the one who makes the decisions as well. So, yeah. And and how do you know when a piece of content is done? Let's just keep it simple. And like one of your photos, you send it for feedback. Like, how do you know when 
you, like you take it all in and then it's and it's done because if not you're you're gonna sit there and pick at it for like yeah. it's never gonna get posted it's never done <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's never done the problem is uh, i'm i would say i'm the perfect definition of a perfectionist it's like i i really believe that when you create a body of art it should take you a long time to to put together and we are now in an era where if it, if you spend more than a day on it, you're you're too long, hmm. and that's terrible. I don't like this whole like like think about it. I post four to five times pieces of art a day a, a week. That's that's insane. That's like Picasso painting, yeah. You know, ten paintings a day and posting it and sharing it and traveling. I think there's a lot of like there needs to be a slowdown of what's happening in our industry but it's not and that's the one reason why i'm kind of almost trying to step away from it because a lot of new applications are being introduced like tiktok tiktok even further emphasizes this whole quick notion of quick uh you know information um videos that will take you know 20 minutes for you to describe something now you have to do in 15 seconds so people's attention spans are very very little and the amount of work that we need to produce now is times three um and i don't believe that's art i think that's just feeding an engine that is needing you know that energy from you um and i think sometimes it's very important to slow down and i do this a lot on my youtube channel i'll take a month off and i'll come back and be like hey guys i'm sorry i was gone for a month but i really needed to take a, just a, a step back and relax because that's a lot of pressure to be constantly creating art and constantly evolving. And the bigger you are in your, in your career path, the more demanding your audience gets. Um, so I, so like someone like my friend, Peter, I know how demanding his audience is. I know what they're looking for. And I know that he has to keep his standards very high. Otherwise people will come at him with opinions and that's not cool, but he doesn't care either. He'll just do whatever he wants, which is nice. But I think that there's still a lot of pressure in our industry. Yeah. How long did it take you to get to a level of like, you really don't care what they say or what any of your followers or subscribers say yeah. you're going to do it kind of your way. Cause it's your channel. Honestly, I didn't, I stopped caring from the day I started posting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the only reason was because I never wanted to be a photographer. I didn't want to be a social media influencer. I never wanted to be a creative director. These are not things that were in my perspective at all. So everything I was doing was just for fun. And when I started making money doing it, I was just like, okay, this is cool. Um, when it became my livelihood and my business, the, the pressure of people's opinions did not matter for me. What mattered for me is how I build my business. What kind of clients do I have? What's the trajectory of my business and how am I going to evolve it on a regular basis? Um, those are the bigger, more fundamental questions that I have to answer rather than, yeah. you know, some kid on Instagram sending me a, a message. Yeah. Well, man, I yeah. could, I could keep asking. I mean, I, I could keep going for, for hours, you know? Um, but, uh, as far as like, just kind of, or actually, you know what, real quick, um, have you ever want, I'm always curious when you get to a certain level, did you ever just want to like stop like period? Like I think not, I don't know if you may have been burnt out from all the photos and all the videos and all the YouTube. And like you said, feeding the engine, have you ever just wanted to just kind of been like, okay, I, I, uh, I think I'm done for a while. Yeah. I, that happened to me actually in 2019, right before the pandemic, I was, <laughs> I was on that, on that like trajectory. 
uh, because I was really being burnt out. I was traveling 280 days out of the year. I, I had literally projects on projects on top of projects on top of projects. And I was one of those people who just thought I could take on everything and do everything. And you get to a point where you're just like, wait, I don't even have time for myself. Mm-hmm. I haven't really just sat with myself. I haven't just gone on a vacation and paid for it and like actually enjoyed it because I paid for the food. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so these are things that were really missing. And I, I was like, I've been doing this for so long now that it's, it's a different type, again, of pressure that you get when you're on social media and your social media personality versus when you just have a normal lifestyle and a normal work and life kind of balance. You lose a lot in order to gain a lot in this industry. Um, but then the pandemic happened and I had my one year of relaxation and I yeah. thoroughly enjoyed it. Like people were going crazy and like all my friends were like having, you know, uh, life questioning mental health issues. And I was just like, this is awesome. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is what it feels like to just chill. <laughs> like I forgot how it felt just to play a board game and just like relax and not be looking at my phone and asking like, trying to go and jump on an airplane. Like, um, so it was a wonderful opportunity just to like really calm down. And so it reset me a little bit. It reset me, it was reset a lot of my priorities. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got a little bit better and a clear perspective on what I want to do in the future now, so. Yeah, and to kind of, to actually wrap it up this time, if you were to hang it up, if you were like, there was no, like you were just, that was it. Like you had one more piece of content that you would create. What would it be and why? Yeah. What would it be? Why? And what would the message be behind it? Hmm. Well, that's a big question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, think, I think, yeah, I think the one thing that I've been really, um, like not spending a lot of time on is I, I, I came to Canada as a refugee and I remember vividly that experience. And I know how hard it is to be a refugee. I know how hard it is to immigrate to a new country, to assimilate into a new culture, learn new languages, the whole, you know, learning and adaptation process. And so one thing I've always been really eager to do is do some sort of documentary, really filming that experience and talking about it um, and helping those who are going through something like that. Because I obviously, I everyone needs to build their, you know, their base so, and their foundation in order to be able to help others. And I do believe in that. I mean, it's always important. I help people all the time. But I think when you really want to make a big impact in the world, you have to be ready for it. And that's something that I've been like, really driving to, to get to a point where I can support people in a much greater level. And that's something that I would, I definitely think would be like my, my hanger. But who knows, that might even open up bigger opportunities. So I... <laughs> I can't really say. I was gonna say when that when that finally comes out, I uh, I might have to stitch it and be like, something was there. there." (laughs) Uh, Awesome, man. Well, dude, I appreciate your time and everything. And um, what? Where can everyone? Where can everyone find you online? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate your time as well. Um, You can find me on Instagram, Alan Palander, and it's Alan Palander across all the social media channels and on my website as well. So super easy to find. Yeah, and I will, uh, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it via podcast, I will uh, link everything in below. And once again, Alan, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure.